Welcome to the Millerville Community Church podcast of our Sunday morning sermon series, where the Word of God is always the focus of our hearts and prayers. MCC is a non-denominational country-style church, just a short 20-minute drive from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And now, here is a message from Sunday morning at MCC. So awesome to be in God's house. If you brought your Bibles... Amen. I'm inaugurating my brand new Bible. My other one I've had for 34 years. You'll like this. This is from Cambridge, England. This is made by uh, the same people who made uh, the Bibles for the early pioneers in North America that came across with the Geneva Bibles. Calf split leather. It's bound, supposed to last for several generations because my last one fell apart. So this hopefully will do it. I asked for an American Standard Version. I asked for a wide column because I took a precepts course. (laughs) I did. And I sat down and I started marking it up. You see the colors? (laughs) The notes? Because I took a precepts course. And I was preparing for this message, and I was in the war room, and I was studying all about John the Baptist and Jesus Christ, and I could hear Beth over here, and she was teaching out of John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. So I sat in and listened in and got ready for my message. So God works in many ways to reveal his will and his ways, and we are looking forward to hearing them all. We are looking at a new series we're doing on Jesus Christ, and uh, we're going through a series of messages. There are flyers out there that you can take that will show you all of that. The purpose of going through this series is so that you may believe in Jesus Christ, that you can know him and have salvation and to walk with him. That's what we want you to experience. We've been uh, going to be looking at a variety of uh, stories from the life of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to understand there's just no way I can cover everything from now to Easter about the life of Jesus Christ unless you come three times a week and then we might be able to cover most of it. But uh, even then there is so much. John said there was so much that Jesus did even when they wrote the gospel. He said there were many more things that he did that we don't have space or time to tell you all about. But he said, what we are sharing with you is so that you would hear it, you would know it, and you would come to believe. And that's why we're sharing this series is so that you would come to know and to believe in Jesus Christ. I've uh, learned that you can think you know something and realize that you didn't really know the thing you thought you knew. Have you ever experienced that? And it can be kind of an embarrassing moment when you thought you knew something when you really didn't. Um, I would assert to you today that there are many who think they know about Jesus Christ and who he is, but they really don't know. That there are many people who think they know what the Word of God says, but really don't know. And of all the things you could be misinformed about, this is probably the worst thing in the world you could have misinformation about. It is probably one of the most critical things you'll ever learn. The most reliable place for information about Jesus Christ is the Word of God. 
We'll find it in the Bible, and we can find it embedded there because that's where people have found and learned about Jesus Christ, who is the Word incarnate. But we begin with the Bible. It's the most reliable place you could ever look. This Bible, which I just got my new Geneva Bible, should last 100 years, has withstood the test of time. It's been around a long time. It's been, uh, for 2,000 years, it's been criticized in every which way a book could possibly be criticized. Any of you writers here write books? Some of you? I, I used to go to a writer's group, and what we would do is critique each other's work, something I really hated to do every week. They would I put my heart and soul into the writing, and then they would sit down and they would critique what I wrote. And they say, I really didn't like that, being criticized, but they were trying to make it better. This book has been criticized and critiqued for 2,000 years and more. It's been worked on. And it has withstood the test of time. There have been even whole governments and regimes that have tried to stamp it out, and it still abides. The promise from the Word of God is that it would abide forever. So whatever you've got, your house, your nation, whatever you think you have built a really strong, it won't last as long as this does. Longer than the Geneva Bible. I mean, God's Word stands a long, long time. It is a solid foundation which we've heard in worship that you can build on. It's full of revelations about from the Word and from God. And the only time the Bible does not make a difference in our lives is when we neglect the Word of God. Or we misrepresent it, or we don't understand the revelation that God is giving to our lives. And a lot of that is due to preconceived notions that we have. Do you know what it means to be biased? Of course you do. Say yes. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> Stop being silly. Of course, we're all biased, right? And uh, the reason I hear so many people object to uh, reading the Word of God and uh, taking it as a reliable source is because, well, everybody interprets the, their own way and there's so many different opinions on it because we're so biased. Well, the problem isn't with the Word of God, it's with you all, with our biases and our preconceptions that we bring to the Word of God. But what has made the Word of God so powerful for thousands of years is that it can deal with you. <laughs> And I often know it's God speaking to me through the word when it disagrees with me, and it's right. <laughs> it's a corrective force in my life, and I find that very, very helpful because I need a lot of correcting in my life. In this series, we're exploring the Bible again, once again, about the truth about Jesus Christ and his short life and his ministry on this earth. And he was here as a living, breathing, historical person. He was both a man and full, fully man and at the same time fully God, incarnate in the flesh. We just came through Christmas and reminded ourselves how that all occurred. He was the bridge between heaven and earth. He belonged to two worlds and he was comfortable in both. He could converse with Father God and he could talk to a sinner on the street. He was between worlds. And when we want to discover who Jesus is, when we want to encounter him ourselves, you need to understand that's where you're going to be going is between worlds, this and the next. And they're right next door to each other. 
And we're going to discover more and more about how that is not just true in the past, it is true right now. Let me tell you something very startling. You might find this shocking, but Jesus Christ isn't just an historical figure I'm going to tell you about today. He is a living being and he's with us right now. He's in this place. He's walking and he's talking and he's reaching out to us. And if we pay attention, we might understand what it means to be on this holy ground. And with that, we might believe and we might catch sight of his hand reaching out to us to bridge us between heaven and earth itself. You might believe in his name and in this series of the reasons the Gospels were written, but how can you believe unless you hear? How can you hear unless we preach the gospel of Christ? And how can we do that unless it comes from the word of God? So we turn to Matthew chapter 3. That's where we're going to begin. And we're going to let us consider what uh, Christ's first step out in the darkness of the world revealed of the glory of God. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 3. Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord. Make, path, make his paths straight. Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was mm, locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem was going out to him, and all of Judea and all the district around the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, and they confessed their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children of Abraham. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will thoroughly clear his threshing floor. He will gather his wheat into the barn, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So that's Gospel of John chapter 3. And in this passage, we see the arrival of being announced of Jesus Christ from one of the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, which was John the Baptist in the tradition of the great prophets of old. And there are the coming and the announcement of Jesus Christ, probably one of the significant moments in the history of the world. There are people who can see more, see more things than other people, who can hear more than most and could even possibly hear. We all have ears, we all have eyes, but we often find that our own mouth and our opinions get in the way of using our own senses 
and uh, best using and understanding him. There's a thing in called psychology called selective um, attention. Do you know what that is? So if you're paying attention to something and really focusing on it, you're ignoring everything else. Every time a hockey game comes on, men practice selective attention. Or in, <laughs> or a football game for me, selective attention. I'm shutting everything out. This is not a time for my wife to share with me some important information because I will not retain it because I have selectively paid attention to something else. I remember years ago that one of our college professors took a group of students and loaded them up in the college van and drove through the streets of Edmonton and went through downtown Edmonton. And after they were all done, he said, uh, well, how many of you noticed the people that were on the street and how many were homeless? And, and they hadn't seen any of them. They were watching for the sales of the stores and stuff like that because he had selective attention. I would suggest to you in this day of misinformation, you have heightened selective attention to pay attention to certain things and pay attention to not certain things. How many of you have a smartphone and you go scroll through your Facebook and other things? You oh, no, no, no. Oh, that's interesting, right? But there is a lot of stuff you just, no, no, I'm not, not interested. You might see it for one quarterth of a second and you've made a quick decision, not interested, don't want to see it, right? There are people who send you emails and you just don't open their emails. So I'm not going to bother, not even going to go there. You have selective attention. You can pick the news broadcast that you want and ignore the news broadcast you don't want, right? Selective attention. And because you're a selective attention, you really can pay attention and see some things, but you are blind to other things. It's as if they don't even exist. When it comes to Jesus Christ, people have some very selective attention, and people miss him all the time. He's there. He's present. He's all about us. I believe he's talking to everyone all the time. But our selective attention will miss him and will not even see him. Could I even suggest he could show up in the flesh, appear right before you as the incarnate Son of God, and you might miss him and not know it was him. That's what happened when John the Baptist sh showed up. He wanted to make sure that people didn't miss him. And I don't want you to miss him either. Here's the beauty of the scriptures. When I started out and I grew up in a preacher's home, I thought the Bible was an historical book full of wonderful, cute stories that taught me moral, uh, like tales, like Aesop fables. Until one day I met Jesus, and I realized this isn't a stories. This is happening. I began to realize the Bible is full of stuff that's happening right now in this place with you and with me that these wars are still being fought, that Christ is still alive and active, and the Holy Spirit is still speaking. Miracles are still taking place, and lives are being changed, and people are still giving their lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ. This isn't fiction. This is reality. Those were one of those awkward moments I woke up one day and realized, I misunderstood this. I thought I knew, but I did not know. Have you ever been that person? Are you still that person? This is what John the Baptist came. He was in the tradition of the Old Testament prophets. 
He wanted to get people to pay attention to what was going to happen because something promised in the Old Testament by Isaiah and many others was about to happen right before their very eyes. And it wouldn't be a crime for them to miss what people have been looking for to for ages to come. John the Baptist came as an Old Testament prophet, and the scripture tells us that no one needed to need to be sure that they didn't miss the point that John was a prophet of God, because they had just come through what we call the period of silence. From the uh, Old Testament to the beginning of the ministry of Jesus Christ, there was just complete silence from God. There was no prophets running around doing it like they had in the Old Testament and they had read in the Torah. And then John shows up saying, I'm him. There had been false prophets. There had been, and everybody knew, oh, okay, he's not, they scrolled right by the false prophets. They're not going to result in anything. But when John the Baptist came up, you know, he looked like a prophet. He smelled like a prophet. He sounded like a prophet of God. He ate like a prophet. He came from the region of prophets. Everything they, they described about John said, man, this is, this is a prophet old school. And, and he is for real, and we should pay attention to him. And John was. He was probably the greatest of the Old Testament tradition, and he had come to announce the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Most of all, he came speaking a message of all true prophets who want to, uh, for all the rest of us to see what they see and to hear what they hear, for prophets can see things we don't see and hear things we miss because they're paying attention to what God is doing. And the message that the prophets always bring when they realize that is this one word, repent. And you can hear that echoed all the way through the Old Testament, right? Turn back to God, repent. Apparently, the key between seeing and understanding who God is and realizing that Jesus is right here, not just in the past, is repentance. Because apparently the thing that makes us blind, that gives us selective hearing and sight so that we ignore the things of God, is that we're not paying attention. And unless there's repentance, we won't see him. We won't understand him. And we won't follow him and answer his call. So repentance is critical. From the very beginning, unrepented people hide in bushes. She knows that in Genesis. Where did Adam and Eve go when they eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? They knew they did wrong. You know what sin is? Sin is when you knew you're not supposed to do something and you went ahead and did it anyways. You shouldn't eat 30 cream puffs, but you just went ahead and because your wife's not home and you're all by yourself. Maybe you should repent of that. You knew it was wrong and you went ahead and did it anyways. Adam and Eve were told, you can do whatever you want. They had one rule, don't eat of that tree. One rule, one rule. Wouldn't you love to live in a world where there was only one commandment? You can do whatever you want, just don't do this, just don't eat that. How many of you are having New Year's resolutions with January and you're telling yourself, I'm going to cut out all those cookies and cream puffs and I'm going to eat vegetables, I'm going to like celery and carrots, I'm going to do it. This is a, this one thing I'm going to do and how hard is it? Well, now you under kind of Adam and Eve, they're there. They're, they were told not to eat the fruit of all things. Oh, but I want to eat the fruit. 
There's something weird about human beings. I, I don't know if you've noticed this. Are you a human being? <laughs> so here's a weird thing about human beings. Tell them not to do something. What do they want to do? Don't read your Bibles. You know, you'll want to do it. It's a great thing. So there's Adam and Eve. They do the one thing they could do is sin. They, they knew they not, should not have do, and they did it anyways in rebellion to God, and they have unrepentant hearts. You know how I know they have unrepentant hearts? Because when God get, finds them hiding in the bush, calls them out, he starts interrogating them. When God asks questions, it isn't to get information. Because he already knows. When God asks questions, it's so that you will know. Because you have believed a lie. And Adam and Eve come up with excuses and blaming. They even blame God. You gave us this woman. You gave her to me. She gave me the app. It's ultimately your fault, God, <laughs> that I sinned. That is not repentance. That is not repentance. And because of that, a gulf formed between humanity and God because of unrepentance. And as that grows and grows in our lives, God becomes dimmer and dimmer and far away. So when prophets come, true prophets, they always come with the word repent because that's how we open our eyes and get back to God. The prophet comes and tells us that Jesus is coming and unless we repent, we will not see, we will not hear, and we can't be touched by him the way he wants to touch us with his Holy Spirit. And since this has always been true, it's best to stop and to consider right now what John the Baptist was saying, every true prophet meant by that word repent and whether you're willing to do that. The police and certain military trained personnel, as I have recently become aware of through my son, have a technique they use when they interrogate a witness. And if you've got a police background, some of you, any of you raised children? Okay, so you can use this technique if you're raising children, all right? But with great power comes great responsibility to so understand this. So here's the technique. Assume that anyone you isolate for an interrogation already feels guilty about something. And when you're interrogating, you begin with that assumption and that that guilt is a powerful force you can use in their life. And so you say to them things like, uh, I want you to know, Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so, that we already know everything we need to know. We already know what you have done. You might have no clue what they have done. But you tell them that you already know. And it's just a matter of confirmation. And uh, really, you don't need to say anything. We've got all the evidence we need. And we, we know what you've done. And we are more than able. But it might go easier on you if you would confess. And you start putting the screws to them in that way. You say, and the guilt, well, you know, they've got secrets. You know, it's no use, he said, in the, mis in the information day, we've got uh, all your uh, computer records, we know everywhere you've been, and we've entered people you've talked to, so at this point, we just want you to come clean, get it off your chest. You will feel better if you will do that. Can you imagine doing that with your six-year-old? <laughs> you know, just get it off your chest, just come clean. Oh, I did it, I did it. You know. Did you know that we have now found out that people have confessed to crimes they've never committed? 
just because of the sheer guilt of it, you know, they just, oh, you know, I, I didn't do it, but I want to confess it because I'll feel better if I do this. The cop said I would, so I, I believe it. They, uh, my son uh, knows this and others, and they use this in military uh, cross-examinations and so on. But it's not really the kind of repentance we're looking for. It's not getting caught and feeling bad about that because that is not the real repentance that the scripture talks about. And you might get confused by that. Remorse that you got caught is what Adam and Eve have, and that does not lead to salvation. Repentance is a whole different thing. It's a whole different understanding when a prophet comes and preaches it. When a prophet comes, he doesn't come as a priest or he doesn't come as a police officer to uh, capture you and interrogate you. When a prophet yells, repent, he means something very different, something very radical. John came with that message to repent, which is, in the revelation of the Bible, means to realize you are going the wrong way in your life. You're not just a little bit wrong. You didn't just make a little mistake and a few errors along the way, but basically good. Repent means you are completely wrong. You're going absolutely the totally the wrong direction you're supposed to be heading. This is not a call for a renovation. It's a call to burn it down and start over. Throw out the old blueprints. Throw out everything you thought you knew. Get rid of it all. Give up your arguments and self-justifications. Don't have any of them. Forget everything you thought you knew and admit that apart from God, we are blind, we are lost, we are dead, and we have no hope at all. That's a radical word for repentance. Repent is a wake-up call to those who are sleeping. And literally, the Bible describes it that way. You're asleep. You're dreaming. It's not reality. It's time to wake up to what is real. Repent is a slap of reality in those who are living in delusions. Repent is a confrontation and intervention in an addict's life. Repent means giving it all up and turning away from what you have spent a life seeking and going after something completely different. Now, why would anyone do that? I have learned one thing about myself and something about everyone else, and it goes this way. We do not like change. We like things the way they always are. So when a prophet comes along and says, something has to change, something radical in your life, complete, absolute change, Boy, he is up against it because none of us really want to do that. He's not looking for a confession of a particular sin when he yells, repent, this prophet. He wants you to repent and give it all up for God. To turn around, hold nothing back. And unfortunately, this is too much for some of us to believe and too much for us to give up. As we go on in this passage, we find in Matthew chapter 3, verse 7, this warning. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? 
Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you, from these stones, God is able to raise up children of Abraham. The axe is already laid at the root of the tree. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. As for me, I baptize you with the water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I'm not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork and is in his hand. He will thoroughly clean the threshing room floor. He will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Have you ever heard that expression, you can have your cake and you can't have your cake and eat it too? I've never really quite understood what that meant. I had to go back to the all-knowing internet to ask what did that phrase mean. And supposedly, it means that if you eat your cake one day, you can't have it the next day. You can't have a cake and eat a cake because either you have it or it's eaten, but you can't have both. So that led me to ask, well, why would you want a cake and not eat it? which makes no sense, but some people like to have cakes. My, my wife and I got married, and we had a wedding cake, and people ate it, but there was a thing on top of wedding cake. She said, no, you can't eat that. So she had to figure out a way of having her cake and eating it too. So we kept this topper of this cake, and we put it in a china cabinet and hung on to it for years, and I always wondered, is it rotting from the inside out? You know, what's going on behind that hard crust? Any of you do that? Keep that cake piece? You still got yours? <laughs> no, you see? Oh, you had cheesecake. Brilliant, I love that. Invite me to your weddings, I like that. So once the cake is eaten, it's gone. There's no getting it back. And what good is that? There are some lawyer-minded people. Do you know people like this? They're usually five years old, six-year-old. 10-year-olds old, they're also 18-year-olds, but there are some lawyer-minded people who really like the law, and they're always looking for loopholes and exceptions in everything that is said. Are you a person like that? Oh, conviction, I can hear it. So a group of lawyer-type people, and they're religious, they come to John the Baptist, and they think they have found a loophole with the word repentance. And it goes this way, that, you know, I can do what I want to do, and I'll give God a little bit of what he's asking for, but it doesn't really mean a total change in my life, but I still get a golden ticket that gets punched and I get into heaven. So I, I think I have found a way. So if he wants me to come and repent and be baptized, I'll go do that, but I'm not really going to change, you know. I'm still, God can have his bit, I'll have my bit, I'll make a compromise. You know, maybe I'll tithe and go to church once a month or do something like that. Maybe I'll sing a song. I might even memorize a scripture. Or I'll attend a precepts class. That ought to do it. <laughs> and if I do those things, maybe surely God would be satisfied and I can still, in his grace, go and do what I want to do. That's who came out to see John the Baptist. And when he, they were approaching, John saw them, and he called them snakes in the grass. 
He said, you're going to rep- you're, you're have the want to appear to repent, but you are not. He said, if you really want to repent, you're going to have to live it out. You're going to have to do the works that are in keeping with repentance. You can't just say it. And that was the bargain that they thought they could do. I'll just say it. I'll confess. I'll do whatever you need me to do, but I really don't intend to really radically change. I think I'm still right in some things, and God is wrong in other things. And John would have nothing to do with that. He knew that some might change, but others would not. The kicker is when religious lawyers think that God has not kept his side of the contract that they make with him and with their compromise. And that's how I know I come across religious lawyers, because they're angry with God. God did not keep his side of the deal. I don't know what you think repentance is. It's not a bargain. It isn't a contract. It's very one-sided. It's all for God or nothing. There's no bargains. You don't get any promises of a better house and a healthier life a life void of any conflict or pain or suffering. In fact, Jesus told his disciples, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to repent and be a follower of mine, you're going to have to take up your cross and follow me. And I'm going to go through hell and back, and you are too. You're signing up for war. You're signing up for hardship. Paul, later on, as the church has started out and is growing really great in Corinth, he writes back to the Corinthian church and he says, look at you guys, you're living like kings, high uh, off the land, you're wealthy and everything. And look at your leaders, the apostles, they're out there being beaten, scorned, ridiculed, giving up their lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul basically said this, I'd rather be with them than with you because they're repentant. They're laying their lives down for Jesus Christ. How could they do no less? Because Christ had done it for them. But if you're a religious lawyer, you want your cake and you want to eat it too. You want to compromise with God. You want to get something out of it rather than give it all to him. You want to be ready to see the kingdom of God. Do you want to encounter it today just as it has always been? To know the reality of Jesus Christ right here, right now in your life. Miracles and power, then repent. Would you like to be touched by him and by his Holy Spirit? Would you like to be washed clean in a way that you want? You never knew you were dirty until you're washed clean by Christ. Then you realize just how dirty you were. You don't know how much of a burden you're carrying until Christ washes you clean of your sin and that burden is gone. Then you realize, I've had people tell me, there's one thing I love to do. When I lead people to Jesus Christ, I lead them through the sinner's prayer, and then I stop and I watch their face, and I say nothing, because it's the most holiest moment in life. I'm a grandparent, and one of the the precious times is when a, a new baby comes into the world. And when I sit after a person has prayed the sinner's prayer for the first time in faith and has repented, I watch because I'm seeing a baby born. That's what's happening. It is the most precious moment. I watch the contours of their face change. I let them have their moment. And then I ask them, what's going on? You know what I've heard back? I feel lighter because the burden of sin is gone. I feel cleaner. Is this room brighter? 
these are the things I hear. These are the sensations and feelings of a person who has fully repented and given their lives to Jesus Christ for the very first time. Their eyes are open to amazing world that they never knew before. They are literally born again in their spirit. It is, if you've never done that, go grab someone, get them saved and watch. It is the most awesome moment. It thrills my soul every time. I can't create that. That's what the Holy Spirit does. If you want that, the only way through is repentance. It's not just a one-time escape the guilt of experience. It is a lifetime experience of repentance. This message and all these messages we're sharing with you in this series is so you can believe in Jesus Christ. But no matter how long we preach or how much you listen, nothing is going to happen in your life until you repent in that way and you call out to Jesus Christ. If you will do this, and we are here to help you do this, and then you will encounter Jesus and you will believe. If you do not, you will never believe, but only think you know something when you do not. Enough to get by. The problem is, is you'll be horribly wrong. Repenting really isn't that hard. It means simply being honest and admitting to God in a prayer what you already know is true in your hearts. Romans 2, 5 through 9, that's the passage I was getting to, uh, says this, and Paul calls it, he says, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up a wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of righteousness of the judgment of God, who will render to each person according to his deeds. He will render unto each of us according to his deeds. To those perseverance and honor doing good, seek God, glory for God, honor and immortality, eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath and indignation, there will be tribulation and distress for every soul of a man who does evil. John saw and knew Jesus Christ when he showed up. He said, behold the Lamb of God who takes the sins of the world. He knew Jesus when he came up. You know why? Because the man who preached repentance was repentant. He was prepared to see the Lord Jesus Christ. It is absolutely critical in our life. John saw and knew Jesus Christ. He was convicted by his own words and every preacher ought to be convicted by his own words and was repentant in need of forgiveness as any sinner. He saw and knew this Jesus. He believed. He could see what others missed. He could hear what others could not. And he could receive what others were missing. Jesus comes to those who believe. He seeks those people. Jesus went looking for John to begin his ministry and he began looking for people who will repent and believe ever since. He is looking here right now for such people. And he searches this room for belief that flows from a repentant heart. And if you are that person, you can meet him today. He will reveal himself to you and you will know him. 
as he knows you right now. The barrier between this physical world and the greater reality of the kingdom of God can be as thin as a veil that is easily pulled back. Or it could be as solid as a door you have locked on the inside to keep God out. It can be as great as a stone that we believe is unmovable and as strong and powerful in our lives as the fate of death. But veils can be torn, doors can be opened, and the stone can be rolled away. Repent, believe, receive. We can show you how to do that at the end of this service. There are some who want to see and understand then the resurrected Jesus, but they don't want to do this by the repentance of sin. They want to remain above it all, aloof, objective, an uncommitted seeker that will not find much. Books, videos, virtual reality experiences don't reveal what it's really like in reality. If you want to know what it is like to fall in love and have your heart broken, a romance novel is not going to give it to you. You're going to have to go out, meet people, risk your heart and put it out there and actually fall in love. If you want to know what skydiving is, uh, virtual reality is not going to do it. Uh, reading a book on skydiving isn't going to really do it. You know, you're going to have to, how you find out what skydiving is really like. You're going to have to strap a chute on and jump out of a plane. I have no idea what it's like, and I don't want to know. <laughs> My son does it every week. God bless him, but I don't want to do it. In the same way, in the very same way, if you want to meet Jesus this morning, encounter him in a way that removes all doubt, you're going to have to repent of every known sin and ask him to wash you clean. If you will do that, and only when you do that, you will be given by God the gift of faith and belief. You will have it. You don't have it first and then repent. You repent first and then receive it. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, had no need to be baptized to show he was repentant of his sins because he had never committed a sin. Yet even Jesus Christ humbled himself in this way by baptism, repenting before everyone before him, before he would even begin his ministry. Prophet John the Baptist said that that humanity had to do this. That was his message. He came preaching, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And everyone who was human heard that and needed to do that. Jesus Christ was human as well as fully God. And when he came, he said, this is what God has commanded. Let us do what God commands. Jesus shares our dark history. He intended to share our dark end. And so that we could know a better future than judgment. If Jesus was willing to share this act of repentance, is it not too much to ask for us to do the same before God and man? Repentance is about confessing to the one you have sinned against. David said in Psalms 51, if you've never marked this passage, it's one of my favorites, Psalms 51. You can do a precepts on this. You'll learn a lot. Psalms 51, but specifically verses 3 through 4. For I know my transgressions, my, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. 
Sin is doing what you know is that God says, I don't want you doing that, and you go ahead and you do it anyways. It is something that you did with God. You openly violated his will, and you knowingly did so. And for that, we are judged. David said, against you and you alone have I sinned, because that's what sin is, a violation of God's will in our life. It is knowingly doing it. It is the very opposite of faith, which is knowing God's will and doing it, right? So you got sin and you got faith, but they are completely incompatible. Do you get this? The Word of God says we are to know the Word, to declare it, and to obey it. And if you're doing that, you're okay. But if you are knowingly breaking it, you are sinning. Romans 14.23 says, whatever is not from faith is sin. Faith and sin are completely incompatible. There's no neutral or objective place, no place you can be above it all in position or that you can sort of be sorry but not fully repentant like John was preaching. According to the word of God, we need to do this. We all all sinned, and it is time we admit it so Christ can wipe it clean from our lives. Not to repent means to choose the judgment of God, which is coming. Begin a life with a repentant heart and search for a new heart created within you by the Holy Spirit will give you gifts. It will give you faith, hope, and the love of God. When you begin a life with repentance, you'll have an understanding will come. You'll see things more clearly. Your eyes will be opened. You'll understand things that you never understood before. You'll begin to see things of the kingdom you never understood. You'll get a taste for what real freedom is like when you repent and receive Christ. And then an old song will come to mean something. I was once was lost, but do you know how the rest of it goes? But now I'm fine. I was once blind, but now I see. Amazing grace did all that. But you only realize that after the fact, not before. There's no halfway with it. This is amazing grace. It is beyond the veil. It is beyond the locked door, beyond the stone over our hearts. Christ is waiting on the other side of that. One step of faith, an honest confession to God, and with a repentant heart you will believe. You will see and you will receive Jesus Christ. If you want that today, you can have it. You might have been going to church your whole life. You might have been a preacher like me. You might have been an elder. You might have thought you knew what you knew, but if you don't know this, you don't know anything. This is the foundation of it all. I'm going to get older, and I'm going to forget a lot of things. <laughs> I'm going to forget how to use my phone. I'm going to forget my children's names. My dad is already calling me by my brother's name. I'm going to forget a lot of things, but there is one thing I will never forget, and that's what I shared with you. I have been by the bedside of people who are at death's door, comatose, and I can start saying the words to amazing grace, and I will see their lips move. For the spirit never forgets. Though the mind fails and the body fails and all else pass away, the word of God will never pass away. 
and a life built on it is more solid than this world. Isn't that a life you would like? I told you Jesus was here, and he is. And you feel him now. Some of you hear him talking to you. Some of you don't like it. Some of you, it is a sweet thing. Some of you just wish you could get out of here as fast as you could and it'll all end. And it will. But you will have missed on the most important thing. I shared this in the living room with a young lady who was asking about Jesus. And uh, as I looked around her apartment, I saw fairies everywhere as I looked. Fairies, fairies, fairies. And I said, what's with all the fairies? And she said, well, that's a long story. And she went to a shelf and she pulled off a book. And it was a book on fairies, a little children's book. And I said, oh, look at this. She said, this is the only thing I have from my birth father. He, she left long ago and this is all I've got of him. And it, I looked and read inside it to my daughter uh, with love. And somewhere far away, her dad was, he has no idea. But she had filled her life with fairies to remind, try to hang on to some belief that dad loved her. Do you know what that's like? And I said, you know, I have another book, and it's from a faraway father. And in it, he says he loves you too. Matter of fact, he's at the door of your apartment right now knocking. And if you would let him come in, he will be your faraway father that's not far away anymore. He'll step into your life and be your real dad. Love you, care for you, never leave you, never abandon you ever again. And all you have to do is repent and receive him. And he's right here right now, and he's ready to do that. I watched the tears well up in her eyes. Oh, she was right on the edge. You know what she said to me, Pastor John, you're very convincing. And you're very persuasive. I need a little time to think about it. But that was the moment Jesus was speaking to her. That was the moment she needed to make that decision. Because she never made it. I gave her the time. I didn't force her to do anything. I wouldn't force you to do anything. But the moment when God is calling you, that is the time to answer the call. Not to wait. Because that moment is precious. You're, some of you are having it now. It is a precious moment, and you need to respond. In a moment, we're all going to stand, and we're going to conclude this service, and people are going to talk and chat and be friendly, and it will feel like this moment has passed, but don't let it. If you hear the God calling you, like he called Adam and Eve in the garden, where are you? Where are you hiding? Like he called John, called the people to repent. Like he called Peter on the shore to come on him from fishing and live the life he was supposed to live. If you hear the call, you come up here instead. And we'll stay in here with me and the elders and we'll pray with you. And we'll show you how to receive Jesus Christ, how to encounter him this morning, and to know him by repentance. And you can have that today. And it doesn't matter whether... You've been a Christian for a long time or have never made this decision. If, if the Lord says there's something to give up, then give it up. Hold nothing back. I've recently had to learn that over again in my life. 
just when I was getting comfortable, God says, give it all up, John. Just walk away from it all. But I live a life of repentance, so it isn't so hard because I'm learning to give up things quite quickly and quite easily. Because I have found that I've never given up anything that God hasn't replaced with something far better than what I put ahead of him, right? And he has that for you. Would you stand with me and let's close with that prayer. Thank you, mighty God, that you have spoken to hearts this day. And not just in this room. There are people listening to this podcast you're speaking to right now. And they're saying, I can't get to the front there. I'm, they're far away. Well, oh God, wherever we are, no matter what we've done, no matter who we are, we know, Lord, you are as close to us as our dearest friends. You are closer to us than our own family. And you are right there. If we would just repent and turn around and remit that we are completely wrong and that only you, O oh God, in your word is right, we could build on that. And you will meet us in that place when we ask you to wash us clean. We ask you into our hearts and to be king, not just savior. And then we will know something that cannot be known in any other way. We will know you and you will know us and we will be together. Even as Jesus is one with the Father, so we will be one with you. I pray, Lord, that if someone needs to pray with them this, this day that they will babble their way through to get that prayer done because the enemy doesn't want this. He wants this moment to go away. But we pray, Lord, that we won't let it go away, that we say we should do this for this is right in the sight of God, even as Christ did. For this sacred end, we pray, and for the what is to follow, we pray for your blessing and your grace and your power. And for all those who walk in faith, we pray, Lord, that they would be prophets declaring the word of God. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. God bless you. And church is a done deal. Thank you. It is our desire to direct people to the Lord Jesus Christ and the source of all life, hope, and true transformation. Our Sunday service starts at 10.30 a.m. and runs till noonish. We are a non-denominational evangelical congregation, so all are welcome. Coffee and snacks are served. Children's church and child care are available. Thank you.